Okay, can we cuss on your podcast? It's guys sitting around chewing the fat. He made me right here in the bed. You guys didn't see that. All right, guys, it's that time of week again. We're back. I wish I had a catchy little thing to say at the beginning of every episode. I never know what I'm going to say. I kind of just hope to find it along the way, like Michael Scott. Um, but we have a really cool guest this week. This is I, th- I think this one's going to be fun. So here we go. The Chief, Chief Spinks. Bob, you go by Bob or Robert? Bob, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Can't. Uh, it's the easiest thing to yeah. uh, to remember. You, know, you can spell it forwards, backwards. Yep. <laughs> there you go. How long have you been the chief? Well, I've been the chief uh, going on five years in Parsons. I've been in the business for uh, four decades. Mm. Uh, started out on the West Coast, Eugene, Oregon, Port of Seattle Police Department. Then I was a uh, chief out in the suburbs of uh, Seattle uh, and then Oregon. Chief, yep. chief in Seattle. Yep. Wow. Well, not the chief of Seattle. In Seattle. But in the in the suburbs mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Seattle. And then, uh, you know, 20, 20-something years goes by and you think, well, I think I'm retired. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been in the adjunct uh, instructor at, at colleges and universities since the, oh, the late 80s. So I thought, hey, you know what? I should try out, you know, this policing thing at universities. How mm-hmm. hard could that be, right? It'd be like working in a park. There can't be any crime, you know, <laughs> at all. And uh, my wife and I were looking to, you know, get a little bit more sun after being in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. And I had five job offers, but Four of them were all above the snow line. Mm-hmm. So Pennsylvania, you know, Wyoming, you know, and, and they were nice size. Yeah, they were nice size universities. You know, pay was pretty good, um, but really within the decision making tree of a large university, you would have been just at that point where you couldn't really change. Yeah. You know, and so you you would go to a lot of meetings and drink a lot of coffee and be in a Brooks Brothers suit. And that, you know, my days wearing a suit were long over. Yeah. And I had also applied to McNeese State University in Lake Charles, Louisiana. And uh, the the president there was a, a lawyer. Uh, he wanted a professional police department. And, you know, he he pushed hard when they went down there. To try to get me to sign on the dotted line. So, of course, I took the one job that offered me 50 cents on the dollar from what the other four <laughs> did. And my wife was uh, a little uh, wondering what my, yeah. my ultimate retirement goal was, you know. But uh, I was down there for six years. I had a great run and uh, thought, you know, I was done again. Got another little retirement check. But unfortunately then went on board. I think I got one more left in me. <laughs> you know, so and, here you uh, are. And so here I am. And you said how many years? Sorry. Uh, let's see. This will be 43. Four. No, no. Uh, here, here here in town, yep. this will be my fifth year. Fifth. Okay. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Wow. So That's why uh, why would anyone want to be a cop in today's day and age? Well, you know, the easy answer that, that you always hear, especially when you interview you know people, is I want to do great things. You mm-hmm. know, I care for people. Which is all good, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you have to have a service orientation. You're not going to get rich doing this, but you should at least, you know, make enough to where, you know, you have a retirement, you can live halfway decently. Okay, great. But 
Um, I don't know. After after interviewing so many people over the years for police officer jobs and being mm-hmm. on the other side of that table, you, you start to to wonder a little bit. Why did I really <laughs> get into this? Yeah. And and I remember doing a little bit of soul searching to you know kind of get through the the what the frosting you yeah. know answer. And and it boils down to sixth grade. Yeah. Right? You know, um, I'm growing up. I had a growth spurt, so I was kind of tall. So I never had any issues, you know, with the uh, the bully, you yeah. know, in the playground. Mm-hmm. And, and and it was like, a light came on. It was like, I remember going out to recess one day as the sixth grader, you know. <laughs> yeah. And and I saw the, the, you know, the little bully of the playground. He had kicked all the, 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 the second, third, fourth graders off the jungle gym. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's not right. <laughs> you know, and it was just like, I went over, I threw him off the jungle gym, and I just hung out. and was like, yeah, come on, you guys, you yeah. know. And, and, and it was like. You restored law and order on the playground. Yeah, right? it, <laughs> I realized that in life, you know, bullies are bad, mm-hmm. and criminals are bullies. Mm-hmm. And in life, there still has to be an umpire. Yeah. To do the right thing for the right reason, even though other people may or may not want to get involved. Yeah, that's a good answer. Yeah. So why don't why don't uh, officers make more money? Because that seems that just seems like. Well, the the easy the easy answer is America loves to do important things on the cheap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you look at other countries. You know, you look at Japan, uh, yeah, they have a centralized law enforcement system. You go to a university while you're employed as a, uh, a Japanese police officer for like four years before they even... That was my next question. Yeah. Is, should it be a four-year degree? Um, yeah, a- a- absolutely. And, you know, that was recommended all the way back in the 1960s by one of the first presidential commissions on law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have not attained that. And, and as there have been challenges in trying to recruit now now we're going the other way well let's just reduce you know what the requirements are uh i'm just gonna say is that really what we all want no no you know (laughs) let's let's continue to do it even even worse and even cheaper so that we get what we're not going to get a good product doing it exactly there's not even an option to do four years is there well i mean i mean you know we hope that people go and, and, and get a four-year degree. No, I mean, in, for law enforcement, is there even a four-year degree Oh, to well, be a cop? Oh, like a four-year academy yeah. process? No, 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 no. We're in America. We don't believe in that. <laughs> yeah. No, uh-uh. Um, there's not even uniformity within the, the police academy system in America. There's over 600 law enforcement academies across the U.S., and you, you would go, well, shouldn't there just be like one for every state? Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody go, no, 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 we don't, you know, we, no. There, it, it is a fragmented system. And in the length of those academies runs from a minimum of about 340 hours to a maximum of, I think, uh, 1,650 is the longest academy. Um, Kansas is um, like right in the middle. So... Holy cow, we can't even agree on on the level of basic training that an officer should have mm-hmm. among the 50 states, you know, and territories. So, but again, a lot of that boils down to money. Who wants to pay who wants to pay that bill? And um I'm just I'm just kind of thinking, you know, policing is a unique occupation. 
You're given the, the legal power to take human life without prior judicial review. You're able to suspend people's civil liberties by detaining them or making an arrest. That's pretty important stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, and I always try to impress upon our staff at the police department that it's also critical that we have empathy because um, if, you know, it, I try to tell my officers, if your mother, daughter, brother, sister, son showed up in our front lobby, bloodied, bruised, and a victim of a crime, what's the level of competency and the level of motivation that you would expect, you know, that victim to receive? Well, you know, everybody goes, well, everybody in the department, I'll drop everything. We need to go. Yeah. Well, okay, shouldn't we do that for everybody? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, that we come in contact with, and shouldn't we have the training, expertise, um, and knowledge to be able to do that in the most professional way possible? I don't think anybody wants to have the, the C or D team <laughs> showing up to take care of grandmother who just got beat up, you know, by a mugger. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. We want the A team. Yeah. But gosh, do we want to pay for it? Mm -hmm. That's got to be frustrating getting people who you can tell are undertrained and you're there you're just kind of handed them and said here you go well Fresh I, out of the academy yeah i mean here it's been it's been interesting because kansas is a right to work state so you know not a lot of union influence in, in policing in the midwest yet most of my career was on the west coast which is heavily unionized and you know as as an officer you know what? The union was very good to me. Uh, I had better wages, I had better training, I had better safety equipment, I had, you know, all of those things. Um, and there were there was a process to negotiate in state statute. You know, mm -hmm. so then you come to a right to work state, and I feel incredibly bad for my staff because they there's not even a way to do organized begging. Mm -hmm. I literally, as a chief have to take the best interests of my staff and try to work that into the budget process. But at the same time, I'm management. Mm -hmm. So I've got a responsibility to do that, you know, what, to manage those dollars as strictly as I can on behalf of the city and the taxpayers. So it's, it's, it's not a good way to do business. As an example, um, you know, Parsons for years fell behind in being competitive, you know, with just other uh, comparable cities uh, in Kansas. Mm -hmm. But, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, if you had a job opening at City Hall, you'd have 25, 30 people, you know, clamoring for, for the job. It still wasn't necessarily the best paying job mm -hmm. with the best benefits, but it was steady work. And so you had a lot of people who would be there. Well, okay, COVID and, and you know, the economy's changed, right? Mm -hmm. So you have a job opening and like, there's crickets. <laughs> you know, um, you can make more money in a whole lot of other places in, in Parsons than where we were just a few years ago with uh, pay for, you know, law enforcement officers. We've been able each of the past four years to make some incremental changes. We're, we're at least comparable now and competitive with the, the other uh, cities of comparable size for all of our civilian staff, police officers, and corporals. We're halfway there for sergeants and lieutenants. You know, and my deputy chief and I, we're about $15,000 uh, behind um, you know, our comparables just in Coffeeville and, and Independence. That's crazy. So you can see how far behind we yeah. were, but until there was the, what, the, the motivation 
um, of not having instantaneous workforce and ability to hire. Uh-oh. And during COVID, we were cherry-picked incredibly hard by the suburbs up in uh, the Kansas City metro area. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> Lost a lot of your guys. Yeah, and, and, and so you had these, you know, Kansas City went on a hiring um, splurge. And they created 150 more law enforcement officer positions. So they were like, oh, okay. Well, they recruited, you know, all those folks out of the suburbs. The suburbs are coming down to the farm teams, mm-hmm. you know, all through Kansas. <laughs> you guys are low on the totem pole. Yeah, and they're literally going, hey, here's ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 signing bonus. You're going to get a $5 an hour pay raise. You're going to get a take-home car. And then all of a sudden, cities like Coffeeville, Independence, you know, Parsons, you know, name them all, mm-hmm. were like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and, and if you didn't have roots, you know, in the community, right. you know, or, you know, your, your spouse wasn't connected to a job or you didn't have kids that were in school, I lost all my younger, highly mobile yeah. folks. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, you know, we're supposed to have 26 officers, you know, we're down to half that. Yeah. And then it gets very crazy, and now, you know, we are just to the point where we're very close to being fully staffed. But I've had to go out and, you know, try to hire, train, then do field training after the academy. It's a year-long process when you bring somebody on board before you start to see or even allow them to work by themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. again, it's it's not like some um, industries where you can you can sustain or survive the the turnover get somebody hired on and you know 3 weeks later they're they're productive yeah yeah no you know again we're giving people you know guns and you know yep. cars and you know yeah it, it's it's a big deal that you know and, and then what do you see on the on the the downside if you lower those expectations or training requirements um and we all see the videos, right, on, yep. on YouTube. Mm-hmm. We see some horrendously poor policing that occurs. And that's not anything I want to be part of. Uh, and, and yet, social media doesn't necessarily help because cause I ask this in all my, all my college class. So I'll ask you guys, too. <laughs> so if you look at the fact that there's 18,000 law enforcement agencies across the United States which is a fragmented system, but that's a whole nother probably discussion, employing one million law enforcement uh, officers. What do you think the percentage of bad cops um, really is? Those who would violate the law or substantively violate major agency policies. What do you think the percentage is? Out of a million? Out of a million. Just, you know, what do you think the percent is? Five. Wow, you're good. Okay, what's... What do you think? I was just going to let him answer. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> All right. So uh, actually, it's one half of 1%. Oh, okay. Oh. So that's what the research, that's the factual but you don't research. Get, but you but don't nobody, get the videos. Of- no. no, you don't. So, you know, we're seeing, you know, the videos of one half of 1%. And they're horrendous. I'm yeah, not, yeah. I, you know, yeah, they should not have guns. They need to go to prison. Okay, good. Get them out of here. Yeah. But the perception then becomes it's much higher. So when I ask this this question in college classes, and I've been asking this th- that for like 20 years, it used to be like, oh, 10%, 15, 18. The last college class I asked was like 45, <laughs> 52. Yeah. You know, and you're it's like, crazy. 
You're like, all you're seeing is the bad on yeah. social media. You're not yeah. seeing all the good cops. Oh my gosh. You know, <laughs> so as a profession, we've also done a huge disservice by not being uh, aggressive marketers in what we do, how we do, um, and, and being open to, you know, whether it's podcasts, you know, being out on TV, you know, putting out press releases, you know, utilizing social media. Um, and you don't get a free pass anymore for, for not doing that. Yeah. And I mean, you guys, which this would, I would hate this, but you guys are, you know, what you do for work every day is filmed. So yeah, you yeah, guys yeah. should be taking some of these good clips where it's you diffuse the situation and putting that on social media. Well, I'll tell you, in, in one of my past departments, every six months we put together like the, uh, what, a collage mm-hmm. from body camera and car camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it was only five minutes that we would, you know, and because it's until you see those things. Mm-hmm. It's easy to talk about, you know, my officer got assaulted or they were in this foot chase or, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah, okay, great. But when you see it in living color at like a city council or a city commission meeting, oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. So the first, you know, a couple of times that we would show this, literally you could drop a pin. Yeah. Because people are like, that's happening in our city? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys have to put up with that? And it's like, well, yeah, what have I been <laughs> Who saying? Who else is putting up with Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like, do you read these annual reports that I put together, you know? <laughs> Yeah, no. but that's numbers and stuff. It's mm-hmm. more, yeah. It's not, so, the, it's not the movie. No, and, and so we have talked about, you know, doing that here. It, I think you guys should. I, I it, It's part of it is trying to get back up to that full staff mm-hmm. so that yeah. we can do, you know, more outreach. Now, mm-hmm. I, I will tell you that, you know, as far as a, a smaller, you know, police department in the state of Kansas, I I'm put us up against anybody, including large cities. When it comes to the amount of press releases that we use, we rebuilt our website, we do email and text alerts, Uh, we use social media, Twitter and Facebook, nextdoor.com, we use the four TV stations, we get on the radio, I do a podcast, (laughs) you know, we do all that. Now, a lot of my compadre chiefs will go, well, gosh, we just don't have time. I'm like, really? Like I do? (laughs) Yeah. You You know, I push my staff. You know, and I push myself because it is so critical. Now, even though we're doing a lot of that in Parsons, you know, I still run across people that are going, oh, well, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I hadn't yeah. heard that. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, and, and, you know, what's the general rule? You, you've got to touch somebody like seven times before they mm-hmm. sinks in. Yeah. yeah. And for every bad video, there's probably got to be seven good ones to cancel it out. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, switching gears a little bit, I've got kind of a funny question. Okay. So we watch a lot of cops. It's oh, we it's watch a- so much cops. <laughs> oh, it's actually our eight- bad boys, bad boys. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's actually our eight-month-old daughter's favorite show. Okay. She doesn't watch cartoons. She, okay. watches, she watches cops. Yeah, mm-hmm. this morning he had <laughs> cops on. I'm like, this is exactly what we should show her. Drugs, <laughs> yeah, domestic we'll violence, we'll super before exciting. She <laughs> before she understands. As of right now, she just likes the flashy colors. There you go. But anyway. <laughs> Me too. And I'm assuming this is, you guys ask the same question, but... Why do you always ask? Like, say you, you pull me over, you think I've got meth in the car. Mm-hmm. Why do they ask, do you mind if I look in the vehicle? Because, in my opinion, if you have reasonable suspicion, you're going to anyway. Mm-hmm. So why do you mm-hmm. ask? 
And if you don't have suspicion, then why would you even ask? So what is the point of okay, asking? So great, I always, great. I'm, I'm always like, why the hell are they even asking? Okay, so good question. <laughs> so again, each state's a little bit different. Um, and, and so I'll use the example of Washington State, you know, where I spent a good chunk of my, my policing career. Washington State in, in the Washington State Constitution actually gives you a, uh, additional protections for search and seizure above and beyond what the Fourth Amendment does in the U.S. Constitution. And in Washington State, you are always looking to try to get consent first. Uh, and so it was just a basic piece of the training that even though you might have probable cause, reasonable suspicion, always ask for consent. Because it's another layer of protection. If they do in give an it to argument. you, then you're even more safe. In exactly. Court. And, I got you. And so you know the the same thing in other states that that just go by the Fourth Amendment, you know, level of protection in the Constitution. Why not ask for consent? Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, it, it's it's okay to do, and it's amazing because a lot of people will say, "Well, gosh, you know, if I'm holding, you know, or something, I got, yeah, I'm not going to give you consent." You know what? It's amazing how many times bad guys will say. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, all right, well, thank you very much. You know, oh. and then by the time you stumble over something, okay, I'm, I, no, no, I'm, get, you know, I'm withdrawing yeah. my they, consent. Can they take it back? Well, they can, but usually by the time they do, it's like, well, sorry, we're beyond that now. You know, we're beyond reasonable suspicion. We I got probable cause. We just crack pipe fall out of your pocket. Yeah, so it's like, okay, thank you very much. Um, but y y it's the same thing that, that people will always say, Especially jurors sometimes, you know, on, on, on the, the infrequent time that you might be able to talk to somebody after a case. Because they'll go, well, I didn't understand that they couldn't have been guilty because I would never have done that. You know, <laughs> I would have done, I would have played the crime this way. You know, and that would have made more sense instead of, you know, all of this other stuff. It just looked like a jumbled mess. <laughs> Who would do that? And it's like, oh, okay, hold it. Wait, most people are under a little bit of stress or the influence of drugs, alcohol, or mm -hmm. they're really pissed off at the moment and they're not thinking straight. <laughs> so they do weird stuff that makes our job as police officers a lot easier <laughs> to figure out who had the candlestick, you know, in the, in mm -hmm. the, in the hallway, you know? And yeah. It, so, yeah, it, it's it, a lot of our stuff, um, is it's easier it's easier what to uh to track down somebody who's half whacked on drugs <laughs> and alcohol and and whatnot than it would be you know if bill gates wanted to do some serious crime like he does yeah <clears throat> it'd be like uh I'm, he's way smarter than us i'm yeah. probably not going to solve that one mm -hmm. yeah what does your day-to-day -day look like Oh, you know, the cool thing, one of the things that got me in, in, interested uh, in, in policing is no two days are the same, right? Mm -hmm. So when you work in patrol, it can be a cornucopia of, of who knows? You start out, you know, with the, yeah, that's, the uh, barking dog to the child abuse case. And the next thing you know, you've got um, a traffic collision. Uh, you've got a, an elderly person with dementia walking down the middle of the street, mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, one day I showed up at, at the Parsons police department, there's a naked guy rolling around in his own feces <laughs> on, no. the, on the sidewalk in front of the PD. And I thought, you know what, all these years in policing, 
even in big metropolitan cities. I never saw that before. That is, um, who, who is no. a new, Do you have to call the new guy for him to cuff him? Well, that would be, yeah, because, uh, <laughs> you know, there got to be some benefit to being the chief. I am sorry. Um, I cannot do that today. <laughs> yeah, I am not. I haven't even had coffee yet. Um, so you, you don't, every day is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not all bad days, right? I mean, there's, there's good days. you mm-hmm. got festivals. You get to interact with people. The school resource officer probably has, you know, generally a more positive work environment, although there's days... You know that that gets a little weird too. Yeah. You know my my world. You know it is um, it's less fun. <laughs> when I was a a supervisor running a patrol shift back in the day, that was probably the most fun I had. I, I you know I had about six seven people that worked you know with me on on the shift. We could go out, we could plan, we did training together. I ran a, a high-risk warrant service team, you know, when we needed to go out and do that. So that was that was kind of fun back in the day. Um, and I was I was I was a real active trainer uh, when I was younger. Still am, but you, you know now it's I'm not so much doing defensive tactics. <laughs> um, but you know now my world is uh, budget, personnel, policy development, funding. Um, you know, how much overtime are we burning through? How, how do I balance a budget? You know, um, what's the strategic vision for the police department? How do we improve the radio system? When, when, and how do we replace, you know, portable radios and car radios? You know, it, it, it's not as exciting, but then every once in a while, you know, We'll have a, a critical incident, and it's like, oh, I get to go put my vest yeah, on. Yeah, I was going to say, when do you get to jump in? Yeah, you know, if it, we just had a shooting, you know, a couple weeks ago, um, and I was out, you know, with, with the rest of the, the gang uh, serving search warrants and, you know, going around, and, and then eventually, you know, we found uh, the shooter. I uh, had to evacuate a uh, part of a, a neighborhood complex, you know, tried to uh, negotiate with, with the person, set up an entry team. Myself and the, the deputy chief, you know, were the instant commanders, you know, for that. Uh, so that, every once in a while I get to kind of dabble, but it's generally a larger incident. Yeah. You know. That was one of my questions. At what severity of something happening are you called in? Like your home, off the, off the clock, not off the clock, right. are you called in? Well, I, I get notified for just about anything substantive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then it just depends on, you know, kind of the uniqueness of the situation. If, if it's a barricaded subject, you know, if it's, uh, shots fired and, you know, officers are, you know, uh, out at a location, you know, those kinds of things, certainly, um, a major aggravated assault, homicide, you know, calls like that, you know, you get called in. Mm-hmm. How often? You know, you honestly, it's gotten, it's gotten to be less. In, in in the five years that I've been here, the the first couple of years when I was here, I mean, I was getting phone calls left and right. You know, it was getting to be, um, you know, two in the morning was kind of like the average time to wake up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, you know, what I can say is, which again, it's perception, right? So, you know, think about, think about Parsons, you know, and, and what may or may not be accurate portrayals of, of crime. So do you think crime is up or is crime down in Parsons? From when? <clears throat> oh, let's say the uh, the past 12 years. Oh, gosh. I would have to think that drugs are up 10x, but uh, everything else, I don't know. Um, I'm not really sure because I 
didn't come from Parsons. I mean, I grew up in Bartlett, so 30 minutes south, but I was never in Parsons. Oh, Bartlett. Oh, my God. That's really... Oh. <laughs> Man, they got some crime down there, let me tell you. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> last year, we had the lowest amount of reported crime that we've had in 12 years. Really? Hmm. So, oh, so that's why you picked 12. Yeah. <laughs> but but if you if you you know look at what people's perception is because you know yeah. we just we just did this big community survey um, we had uh, 799 people turned in you know these surveys of 125 questions. We sent that off to the Docking Institute uh, for Public uh, Affairs at uh, Fort Hayes State University. They've been crunching those numbers. And uh, we've got the, the preliminary you know, information. We'll be releasing the, the final report, I think, around July 7th. So, but the perception is, oh, crime's up. Crime's bad. Yeah. I mean, you, you, get, you see what you go out looking for. Mm -hmm. And I've got even buddies, and I've been guilty of it too, where people are like, oh, all Parsons is meth heads. And it's like... Okay, honestly, there's like four, and it's the same four every time, and I, I pretty much know them all by name, and I'm not even a cop. Right. So if that's what you're looking for, yeah, you're going to see it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, do we? So if you look at what our true crime challenge is, number one, domestic violence, aggravated assault. Mm -hmm. You know, victims know the perpetrator. That's number one. If you if you could eliminate our domestic violence problem. When you, you look at the, the per capita crime rate, which looks higher than it should be in a small town, mm -hmm. if you get rid of that, we become one of the safest communities in the state per capita. You know, it's, it's not drive-by shootings. It's not bank robberies. It's not muggings. We don't really have that. You know, but we do have domestic violence and, and violence. Attacks. And, you know, then that's followed by, um, you know, drugs. We have uh, an abundance of drugs, just like about every rural community out that's, here. Well, I, uh, I've always said that that's the only thing that places like Bartlett, Kansas, and L.A. have in common is that if a, everything's got meth. Everyone's got drugs. Yeah, you know. And, so, I mean, and, is there even a way to get rid of it? Well, uh, there is. I mean, there's, there's a way to reduce, you, you know, some of, of that flow. But, again, that takes, you know, uh, money. You know, yeah. back in the day, um, Southeast Kansas had the longest running interagency narcotics task force in the entire state. The three counties of Crawford, uh, Labette, and Cherokee, that was, that was a huge operation back in the day. And it was also, you also had uh, individuals from KBI, you had uh, DEA, you had FBI, and there was federal money that was coming to help buttress those efforts. These three counties back in the day were, uh, when meth was really way up there, uh, it was defined as a, uh, a Haida County. Uh, Haida County is a high intensity drug trafficking area. That's a designation that if you get there, um, generally means that you have additional federal funding that will come into your, your, your community, your county. <laughs> Those three counties are still designated as Haida counties, but I don't know, about seven or eight years ago, you know, you had like 23, 24 agencies working together, and maybe there was some politics, maybe there were some egos, maybe there was just some short sightedness by some law enforcement officials, and they couldn't get along. And that task force kind of fell apart. 
the federal money was lost, and then that that left all the agencies in those three counties kind of, well, do it on your own. Hmm. Well, that doesn't work really well when you've got a bunch of, of small agencies in, yeah. in essence. And, you know, we, um, working with Labette County Sheriff, uh, Darren Isinger, you know, you know, we have tried to go back to start to reformulate having a structure for narcotics uh, task force. And that's going to be a multi-year process to try to rebuild, you know, the framework and try to get those additional federal funds. Um, and of course, COVID didn't help, right? Because yeah. you know that just you know that whacked everybody's you know personnel availability. So, you know, having a task force, yeah, really important. Um, the fact that we now have two drug dogs is very helpful. Uh, the sheriff's office has a couple dogs. Uh, you see more of those dogs. I think the other thing that that will be coming into the area is a uh, it's called Flock. Um, and it is a series of automatic license plate readers that um, we will be putting out um, throughout southeast Kansas. And so Montgomery County is putting, uh, I think, five up. Uh, eventually, Independence will have five up. Coffeyville will have five. Caney has one. Uh, Adams County will be up there. Um, um, Pittsburgh is also looking at five or more. We're looking at five. And so it'll be like major roads where they just major roads, plates. and and so as as cars go by, um, those readers uh, are looking for stolen cars, wanted subjects. You know, we'll be able to put tag numbers in of our local drug dealer community, and we'll be able to track those people. And you know, we'll be able to you know, either a track some of the flow of uh, narcotics, but just as important, we'll be able to grab, you know, individuals that uh, have wants and warrants for them that are traversing through the county. The other benefit, too, is if, uh, say, say you have a, a missing child uh, that you think has been snatched or an amber alert or a silver alert, we can punch in those, those license plates and, bing, as soon as it hits one of those readers, in 20 seconds, local law enforcement will get an alert and we yeah. at least know who you know, kind of where they're, where. they're at. Mm -hmm. I can already hear the complaints though about people not wanting to be tracked. Yeah, well, I know. I know. Isn't it. that great? So, um, <laughs> you know, this is the cool do, thing. Do you think you'll get enough calls where it outweighs all the, no, not at all because <laughs> the ACLU, uh, is supportive of, uh, the, the flock system. It, it only holds information for 30 days and then it's gone uh it does not you know capture any facial uh you know photos it, it really doesn't no it, it it targets just those license plates and so there's about seven expectations that the uh, aclu puts on the use of of automatic license plate readers and this system addresses every one of those. Yeah. The other piece is transparency. Uh, so once we go live with that, you'll be able to go to our website and you'll be able to see, you know, some of the benefits. You know, you'll be able to see some of the volumes, some of the public information that uh, I hope allays people's, you know, fears. But at the end of the day, driving on a public highway is not a right. <laughs> it is a privilege. Exactly. Well, and if you're that concerned about being tracked, to, well, I mean, you shouldn't kinda, have a phone. Yeah, you shouldn't kinda, have anything, yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be much more concerned about the data 
that every one of our cell phones, <laughs> oh, God, you know, yeah, that's that's scary. And yeah. you know, this is this the flock system is nothing new. In, in Wichita, they have about 150 license plate readers. Yeah. So if you're going to Wichita, your license plate has already been picked up a dozen times every mm-hmm. time you go there. So. It, again, it, this has nothing to do with tracking, you know, the average Joe. You don't care where I'm going? Don't really care. You know, I mean, <laughs> it, it's so funny because, you know, it, some bad guy, I'll say some very low level bad guys, um, you know, you, you guys are always after me. You know, you, you, you guys are tracking me. You're, you're tailing me. It's like, look, you're not that important. We're actually really busy. <laughs> You know, and if you do something so egregious and stupid that you literally throw yourself in front of a police car to be arrested, okay, we're here. But, you know, what, last year we handled some 24, 25,000 incidents inside the city. So that's uh, everything from the benign barking dog to a homicide. Mm -hmm. You know, so trust me, we're busy with real stuff, you know. Uh, you know, there, there's probably a few of our criminals that walk around with tinfoil hats and think, you know, we're, we're injecting <laughs> them with nanobots, but we don't have the time or the money yeah. to do that. Yeah. How frustrating is it when, since we're kind, we were kind of on drugs? Mm-hmm. We were on drugs, really? <laughs> what, what, what's in this bottle that you gave me? <laughs> uh, but how frustrating is it when you do arrest the same, and I know it's not literally four, but... I know you guys know the names and faces, and, yeah, and, the, yeah. and the system just yeah. keeps letting them out. I think I think one of the nice things about I gravitated to being a chief in smaller towns because I wanted instant feedback. I wanted to be able to what change things quickly. I wanted to be able if there's a if there's a drug house, you want to be able to go take care of that, you know. And you see the return on your investment really quick in a smaller community, right? When I was you know, working in, in the metropolitan Seattle area, oh, yeah. how big of a return on investment. And this isn't to beat up people in, in metropolitan areas. Eugene PD and the Port of Seattle Police Department were fantastic law enforcement agencies. I benefited from a host of training and opportunities and experiences that I would never have been able to get in other agencies. You know, so I put all that in my tool bag, mm-hmm. you know, and then I, I go out, you know, into the hinterland and, and, and try to do good police work. But I was a well-paid mercenary, you know, um, at the Port of Seattle Police Department, you know, there's about 140 officers and um, none of us lived anywhere near where we worked. You know, we yeah. were in charge of the international airport, that surrounding area, and then 22 miles, uh, linear miles of the Seattle waterfront, which was pretty cool. You know, but um, we didn't live there. Yeah. You know, we had people living in seven different counties, including people that took the ferry to work. Yeah. Um, and and so how do you how do you have that kind of a connection? You know, here in Parsons, you know, eventually, you know, someday I'll retire, and this is where I'm going to be. You know, so you're going to stay. I'm going to stay. You know, really? I mean, yeah. yeah. Of all the places, you like this? Oh, heck yeah. Okay, so. A little off track, but I think this is really important because people will always say, how in the world did you end up in Parsons, Kansas? And, you know, and I thought, honestly, you know, this last time, you know, maybe we'd end up in Montana or, mm-hmm. you know, Colorado. So I made a list. My wife and I sat down and I didn't need the job, right? I mean, but I was bored. And so... <laughs> um 
the list included, it had to have affordable housing, had to have an economic development program, had to have a college university inside the city, had to be less than 20,000 people, couldn't be a suburb, I wasn't going to commute, didn't want to be around a metropolitan area, um, had to have a rich history, had to have a museum, had to have, um, you know, what else? Had to have a level three trauma center or better, had to have life flight, had to have, so I mean, it was a pretty mm -hmm. comprehensive list, right? Mm -hmm. So Parsons pops up, you know, and, and, you know, I asked my wife, hey, do you know anything about Parsons, Kansas? She's like, are you nuts? What are you talking, what? <laughs> you know, I said, well, it's a smaller town. It's in the Midwest, right? There can't be any crime. I mean, it's the Midwest. They probably just raise a lot of cows and grow a lot of corn. Yeah. Well, well, let's go take a look. And she was like, oh, okay, great. So, you know, we came up here before I applied. And you, you, it was a beautiful spring day, right? You drive into town, you see Main <laughs> Street, and you're like, oh, my gosh, this could be like Mayberry. <laughs> I could be like Andy. I could walk down Main Street, you know, and everything. There can't be, you know, it just can't be that bad here. The good news, everything on that list I was able to check off. So the guts, you know, the bones of the community are good. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of potential here. Mm -hmm. All right, then you do your due diligence, and you're like, well, what's up with the drugs? Why is everybody beating the crap out of each other in their homes? You know, why are there so many mental health cases and mental crisis issues here? Okay, there's some rough edges, right? Yeah. But the core, the core of the community has a lot of potential. And, and, and so, you know, I tell people... Um, you know, go over to Pittsburgh. It's got some benefits, right? I mean, there's some, you know, they got a little bit more bu you know, business opportunities, maybe a few more places to eat. It'd be nice if we had a couple more restaurants. Mm -hmm. But per capita crime is double what we have here. Really? That's actually really shocking because it doesn't seem like that to me. That's I right. I think, I think of Pittsburgh as a nice, like one of, a, one of the few See, nice I low don't. crime. I think of Pittsburgh as like a northwest Arkansas up and coming city sometimes. Yep. And yet it is double per capita. Really? So, and then you look at, at Independence. Oh my gosh. Why would anybody go to Independence? You know, and one of my best friends is a chief over there. Jerry, mm -hmm. I'm sorry that I am throwing shade <laughs> on your city, but your crime rate is through the roof. <laughs> now, why is that? Well, because they're not funding his police department properly. Yeah. They have 20 total officers. By population, they have 30. Okay, you're going to get what you pay for. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's, I mean, those guys and gals, they work really hard, but you can only do so much. Coffeeville. Oh, Coffeeville has historically, you know, yeah. been a, a safe haven for bizarre crime. Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't seem to get the press notoriety. Last year or a year and a half ago, they literally had a shootout between two different rival drug gangs, you know, from Arkansas and Oklahoma that were trying to, you know, take over their their territory in Coffeeville. I don't know, they had 40 or 50 shell casings of uh, 9mm, 40 caliber, and AK-47 rounds in the middle of this, this intersection. It never even made it. In, in, none of the local TV stations even picked up on it. Are I you called, serious? Yeah, I called up the chief. I said, Quinn, what are you doing? How do you how do you not have you know I mean somebody lights off an M80 in in, in Parsons? My God, there's another shooting. <laughs> no, it's a freaking M80. You know, come on. 
And uh, and he's like, well, you know, we're just far enough from Tulsa, and we're just far enough from Wichita, yeah. and we're just far enough away from Joplin. Nobody wants to come out here and make the drive. Yeah. I'm like, well, that that's not fair. <laughs> um, so, but the only reason they've had a slight drop in their crime is the refinery bought up all the low-income housing mm-hmm. because they were expanding the refinery. Oh. Well, yeah. folks left. Yep. Yeah. Well, where'd they come? Well, we hope that they all went up to, you know, independence. <laughs> yeah, so. That is, uh, that's funny you mentioned that, that, you know, it didn't get on the news. I've got a neighbor out here who knew you were coming on. He wanted me to ask you something. Yes. He said, so I guess there's like a newspaper from Caney. Okay. And um, he said there's always an article in there about something going on in Parsons. Oh. And he said, why? He said, the people in Caney must think that Parsons is a hellhole <laughs> because there's never anything about Coffeeville, which is closer. There's never right. anything. And so he's like, is there really that much more crime in Parsons? Or is the chief just being upfront and honest about it? Or what? what? Well, of or do course. Do you even know you're in the. Oh, of course, I'm being you? upfront and honest about it. My God. Um, so whenever we send out a press release, yeah. it goes to about 18 different sources. Yeah. And then we also, you know, post it on the website. That also triggers an email and text alert to everybody who has signed up. Oh, have you guys gone to www.parsonspd.com and signed up to receive email and text alerts? No, but I can. Oh, you got to because yeah. that's how you know the real facts of what's going yeah. on. That's um, what I need. Yeah. There you go. So, so Facebook. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about Facebook. That'll give me an aneurysm. Um, so. So again, I yeah, I I believe, I you know that it is it's critical that law enforcement be as transparent as you can be. Um, mm-hmm. Now, y- y- again, you've got eighteen thousand law enforcement agencies. There's eighteen thousand different political environments mm-hmm. that you live in. You've got eighteen thousand chiefs and sheriffs with different personalities. Yeah. Um, and you know, this is the thing is, is anybody at city hall kicking me in the butt to say, Hey, go faster, quicker, farther than anybody else. No. Do I know chiefs, you know, who sit around and drink coffee? Yeah. Yeah, I do. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so, you know, where's the motivation, you know, and you do have some political environments. I'm lucky. I I have a great city manager and a group of, of city commissioners that I think I have built a, a level of trust and respect with, I, I'm able you know, to, to be as upfront as I think the whole profession should be all the time. Is that uniformly the same across? No, uh, it's yeah. not. So it may just look worse whenever. It may. You know, and, and again, I would say, um, because some people say, well, well don't say anything. <laughs> That's not good marketing. You know, and my response would be, well, then put more money into economic development, you know, and, and education and raise the city up by its bootstraps. And then you won't have to worry because crime will decrease mm-hmm. the more of an investment that you bring into the community. So, and conversely, um, what we are seeing, which is really frustrating, and you, you started to, to kind of touch on it, mm-hmm. is um, in a small town, 
do my do my guys and gals not know who the criminals are and who the drug yeah we do yeah you know we just you know just because we happen to know right or you know facebook warriors <laughs> well you do you, you know who all these people are and you don't do anything you got to be on the take it's like yeah right i'm on the take in a little backwater town <laughs> how much money am i gonna make you know that doesn't happen <laughs> and, and most of our drug dealers in in, in their do wells they're cheap and they don't have any money. They're barely, you know, able to you know, do their habit for God's sake. <laughs> so that's not the issue. Um, the issue is we went and uh, fired up the trusty police computer and we looked at uh, what's the percentage of people that get arrested multiple times every year. Mm-hmm. So in 2021, uh, we did, we made like 668 arrests and, um, you know, which is a for a town of ten thousand. That's that's a good number of arrests. Those are bad people. That's not tickets or any you know traffic mm-hmm. tickets or anything. That's criminal stuff. Uh, and exactly just about half had all been arrested at least twice in the same year. <laughs> so we dug a little deeper. We found two people that had been arrested twelve times each. Wow! In one year. And then you have to ask yourself: Well, if you get arrested, don't you like go to jail? Apparently not. And then what we were seeing is there is a propensity for the district court judges. So, okay, look, uh, full disclosure, I'm going to bash the court system um, because the district court judges have had a tendency to impose uh, very low bail amounts or they have released people on their own recognizance pending trial. And then... Let's say we arrest somebody on a Thursday, they're back out on the street by Monday. Yeah. And by Wednesday, we're arresting that person again. And then they were probably already on probation, they were out on, you know, bail. And that should violate somebody to go, oh, well, now you're in the county jail for quite a while waiting for until your trial. You, until, yeah, until you go to trial. So we arrest them, we put them back through the system, and nine times out of ten, and I'm not exaggerating. Yeah, the judges go, well, we'll reinstate, you know, probation and, um, you, you know, don't do that again uh, on the bail thing. Why? That you is know, so... I've been asking that for almost five years. Uh, and so that, that, you I know, mean, and, it, does it make their job easier? Like, what would be the motive to just let? I don't know. I, I truly don't know. And they all I, live here too. They the, don't want them out there. Well, you would, you would think, you know, I don't uh, get that. I don't either. I, uh, uh, I have talked with the presiding you know, judge um, for the district, and you know she's she's willing to come and you know talk to you know the you know the department during in service training and you know and I'm like okay great we'll put you on the list in October come on over love love to have you here we made that same offer to our two local district court judges and they were like. Well, no, we don't. We don't want anybody to think like you know we're giving you the inside track. We 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 sh-. and I'm like what. Every place I've ever worked has had the judiciary come in during in-service training to provide two-way communication on how policing, you know, how police officers should do things better for us to give feedback to the judges face to face. This is the only time in my career that I've had judges say no. When the the state supreme court was here in town, uh, I was able to have sit next to the uh, the the chief justice. Um, for breakfast. So I brought that up. And she was like, well, that sounds awfully odd. 
I said, yes, Your Honor, it does. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, 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 and so if you look at, at our true crime problem, again, firing up, you know, the magic computer. Yeah. We have about 50 habitual criminals in Parsons. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that would be kind of easy to figure that out. And then we have about 350 associates, hanger-owners, you know. And so what you see is a lot of, of internal um, victimization, stealing, beating up, dope deals go wrong, you owe me money, I don't like you, I'm sleeping with your girlfriend. I mean, it, it's literally 400 people out of 10,000. Mm-hmm. And then, unfortunately, once in a while, there's some collateral damage, you know, where somebody gets their house burglarized or, you know, their car, you know, vandalized or whatnot. If those 400 people would just move to Independence, <laughs> we would be the safest city in the state of Kansas. And how do you do that? Well, you can't do that because this is America, you know. <laughs> so, but... But it's literally that same group that are in and out and in and out and in and out over yeah. and over again. So I, I at least, I'm, you know, I try to be professional and I try to use, you know, my small bully pulpit in our, in our press releases to identify when we have habitual criminals or that they've just been released and now they're reoffending. Um, a few weeks ago, I, I put together a four-page letter to the presiding judge uh, for the district court and also our two local district court judges. You know, and I put in some anecdotal um, stories about people that have been habitually repeat offenders and they've been let out back and forth, back and forth. Um, and, and so this is what I heard. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I heard. So, um, you know, I think maybe huh. maybe Friday I'll call the uh, the presiding judge and say, hey, you, you remember that letter I sent over there? Yeah. I was trying to be positive. Yeah, yeah, give, me, give me some ideas, you know? Yeah. Gosh, that's crazy. One question I had was, uh, because I've had, I had some experience with this, so how, fr- and it wasn't severe or anything, but how frustrating is it when, like, or, or does it even happen when you know this dope dealer or this, you know, whatever murder is in this house, but you don't have a warrant or you don't have the reason to, but you just know from the street or however you know, how, do, is there a way to get around to get in there or do you have to wait for him to screw up again or? Well, unlike, you know, some of the TV shows, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, no, I mean, there's there's a couple things that are going on there. One is, um, you know, what are your resources? You know, uh, for quite a while, we were barely, you know, after we'd been cherry-picked, we had three officers on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We were just barely able to field the in-progress, day-to-day calls that were coming in. Um, and, and that's really frustrating. We had to deplete, you know, detectives, you know, just to keep the doors open, just as other law enforcement agencies had to. So then as, as you rebuild, you know, w- you know, what do you want to do? Well, you, we want to get, you know, some, some expertise so that, you know, we're covering our shifts so that we can move people back into detectives. You know, right now, for the past two years, uh, I've had one lieutenant uh, as uh, our investigator. And so she is literally deluged 
with all the felony cases um, and and the sex cases, and you know we've ground her, you know, into the into the ground. Mm -hmm. She's done a masterful job, you know, pulling cases together and, and using you know some of the resources from patrol to assist her. Our goal, though, is to have three or four people in investigations. Yeah. And that's going to be 2024, 2025 yeah. before we get to, you know, that level because we've got all these new people and we can't leave yeah. them out on the street unsupervised and take, you know, that small core of experienced, you know, police officers mm -hmm. and throw them over in investigations. Yeah. So, yeah, it is, it is very frustrating. You know, now, you know, we try to you know, uh, utilize the resources of the Kansas Bureau of Investigation. We've got a great working relationship with them. We utilize them in a host of ways, not only to process major crime scenes, but if we have a, uh, a felony crime that looks like it's going to go, you know, out in the county, across county lines, you know, then, then we rely on them as well. In, in the past 10 years, we've had 10 homicides. Um, we've solved all of those. In persons? Yeah. That's one a year? Yeah. That's, that's been the average. Yeah. Hmm. And so our last open um, homicide, we had turned that over to KBI uh, a couple of years ago because the tentacles for that reached in Montgomery County and, and, and around. So I can't send officers, you yeah. know, all over the place, you know, mm -hmm. and still be able just to cover the city. So we turned that over to KBI. They worked with the Attorney General's office. They now um, have a, a person in custody for that. So all of our homicides, you know, again, Facebook doesn't always believe that, you know. <laughs> and Facebook doesn't always believe that, you know, we've only had, you know, on average one homicide per year for the past 10 years. Um, but they're all solved. Yeah. And then, you know, we will also look at, at other resources. Um, the U.S. Marshal Service Fugitive um, Unit has been exceedingly helpful in uh, assisting us in some drug raids and, uh, you know, also tracking down some bad guys that have fled, you know, the state. So, again, we're not out here in the hinterland completely on our own, mm -hmm. you know, and we certainly, you know, utilize and partner, you know, all the surrounding agencies, you know, yeah. as well. All right, last thing. You got to give us, from not only Parsons, anywhere you've ever been, Craziest story, craziest call, most exciting, oh. scariest, whatever. Well, I don't know. I, you know, I've been shot at. I've, Have you I've, ever been shot? No. Um, it's amazing. Um, in my younger days, uh, there were some rounds coming my way, and I was not in the best position. But I can guarantee you that a, a six foot three, um, at that point, you know, like 220 pound guy, uh, now I'm 200 pounds. <laughs> um, can actually fit your entire body below a street curve. <laughs> um, That's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and in those milliseconds um, that you're there trying to figure out what, where am I going now, is um, you start thinking like, and the bullet-resistant vest I had, that was bought on low bid. <laughs> hmm, is that really going to work today? So, you know, I, there's, there's a host of things. I, early in my career, you know, I grabbed a gal as, as she was jumping off the top of a, a parking structure in uh, downtown Eugene. Um, wow. and, and, you know, and, and I could still see that happening. 
Um, because rule number one is you, you're taught at the academy. If somebody jumps, never grab them because the body weight in inertia is, regardless how big you're going too. And <laughs> really, yeah. And by the grace of God, this gal was sitting on on you know the side of the parkade. It was a beautiful Sunday morning, right? I was like, I'd been working graveyard. You know, I stopped at the parkade, you know, because there was a little newsstand so I could get my paper on my way, you know, to the station to go home. And all of a sudden, all these people come running out. She's going to jump. She's going to jump. And I'm like, oh, my God. Well, it's like, I don't know, how many stories was that thing? It's like six stories tall. I mean, it was up there a ways. And, and again, I was in much better fighting weight then. <laughs> um most people would go jump in the car and, you know, to get up there. Yeah. Me, <laughs> I ran <laughs> up the stairwell, you know, calling for help, right? So I get up there and, uh, and, and I'm like halfway away from, from where she's at, you know, and I still have the newspaper in my hand, right? Yeah. And, and so you, you're trying to engage, you know, anything that you can say, hey, my name's Bob, you know, it's a beautiful morning, you know, maybe we could talk, you know, yeah. trying to negotiate, and you're taking like these baby steps, you know, mm-hmm. and then she'd look, you know, over the side and be like, okay, take three or four steps, and you get closer, 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 and, uh, and I'm thinking, where's my backup, <laughs> you know, it's like, what the, where, there's never a cop around when you need one, <laughs> yeah, and, and so I get a little closer, a little closer. And she stops talking, and she, you, you literally you could see her start to push off, you know, the ledge. Mm-hmm. And 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 I can guarantee you, time does slow down. Yeah. Um, and I thought, no, you know. So I I was pretty close, you know, and, and I kind of jumped forward, kind of uh, what anchored my my feet against the the wall she was on. And as she went over, I I kind of did this big swooping you know, arm lock on her and then just pushed myself and her back. And then finally I hear some sirens. I'm like, <laughs> there they are. Really? There's the cavalry. Where, where is everybody? You know, and I, you know, I handcuff her, you know, and, and we take her, she was a walk away from, um, oh, an inpatient mental health, um, mm-hmm. place in Eugene. And, uh, you know, and I got high fives and, you know, and it was like, oh my God. So that was that was cool, but the best yeah. part of the whole story is about ten weeks later we're in briefing, and uh, the sergeant is passing out you know stuff to everybody, and he tosses a, a card you know that has my name on it, and I re I open it up and it's from her, and she said thank you for giving my life back. I now have my family. Aww. Oh wow, that's cool. That's crazy. Oh my God! Even now yeah. it's like oh. Yeah. That was yeah. good. That was good. Yeah, that's cool. So, huh. maybe not the most bizarre. There's there's lots of other uglier, <laughs> you know, weird yeah. things over the years. But but again, why do you get into police work? Oh, okay, yeah. great. You know, there was a person that was in pain and need, um, and she got her family and her kids back. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So. Hmm. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. What, we're done? <laughs> I have more to say. <laughs> Tell us. Yeah, they, I mean, we could go on for three or four hours. Well, I know me. you're a busy man. <laughs> but, uh, well, we'll, we'll do this again. You're welcome yeah. back anytime. All right. I'll, uh, I'll save up my list and, uh, and see what we can, uh, we can share. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you.